around the sort of three to four year mark, you get a bit of an itch. I think a lot of people, the novelty starts to wear off and you get a bit millennial and like short attention span where you're like, oh, this is actually hard. Oh, like I actually have to not just <laughs> start a business with a good idea, but like keep it alive. And I think every business owner is better at what they do when they have breaks and distance mm-hmm. from what they do. Cause you mm-hmm. get fresh perspective and you, you forget about it for a second. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this episode of the Make It Happen Show. I'm Tim Morris, the CEO at The Entourage. And today I'm joined by Sarah Davidson, who made the transition from corporate lawyer to co-founder of Matcha Maiden, a business that she recently exited from, and now has a number of different entrepreneurial and creative pursuits. And so we talk about that journey with a particular focus on how Sarah has really learned about where she wants to focus her energy and her time. And I think that's such a great lesson for so many entrepreneurs. So if you are thinking about getting into a business and you wanna know what's gonna light you up, or you've been stuck in your business for a while and it's starting to lose some of the shine, I think this is a really great conversation for you. Let's get into it. Today, we are joined by Sarah Davidson. Sarah, how are you? I am well, thank you, and thrilled to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Awesome to have you on. You've got a really great journey. I'm I'm looking forward to hearing all about it. And I think perhaps the best part to touch on uh, is you've taken a side hustle, turned it into a business, then exited it in Matcha Maiden. (laughs) So um, in just a few short years. So I'd love to talk about how you've made that happen to start with. Absolutely. It's funny. Every time I reflect on it, I still can't believe it's actually happened because if you'd spoken to me a couple of years ago, I had genuinely, like there was a lot of self-congratulation going on because I'd, you know, shed the self-doubt and taken a big leap and walked away from a stable career and all those kinds of things. And I think for a long time, I thought that was the last time I'd ever have to step out of my comfort zone, you know, like Mm -hmm. I've made it in business. This is my purpose. I found my passion. I'm living the dream. But inevitably, once you leave your comfort zone, it catches up with you and you start mm. to need different things. Like I, those, the days of having one career or one big pivot in your life are gone. The world moves so quickly. And so I sort of, I, I found like the journey with Matcha Maiden was exponential, extraordinarily exciting, such a big learning curve. And then around the sort of three to four year mark, you get a bit of an itch. I think a lot of people, the novelty starts to wear off and you get a bit millennial and like short attention span where you're like, oh, this is actually hard. Oh, like I actually have to not just (laughs) start a business with a good idea, but like keep it alive. And you know, that like reaching that five year mark isn't actually, the stats are against you, you know, a lot of businesses fold at that five year mark. So it got a bit hard. And I realized that was just part of you know, adapting to going from being the only market competitor, really, like Mm. pretty much we were first to market, um, to having a really different landscape. But it wasn't until about five years where I realized I I kind of have come to see my life rather than what I thought it was, one big jump into a, you know, dream life and that ends there and then I do this for for the rest of my life. It's a jigsaw puzzle. And Mm. at any chapter of your life, you're adding new pieces and getting rid of pieces depending on how you feel in the new circumstances of each year that comes. And I realized a couple of things. Firstly, what the business as it got bigger and as it scaled required of me was moving further and further away from what I had started it for. Mm -hmm. And that was keeping me in a factory, in a high-vis vest, doing logistics and freight and all kinds of things that were so far away from the customer and so far away from the storytelling and the marketing and the behind the scenes, which is what I love. And I think giving giving yourself permission, particularly 
not having any qualifications in business, I didn't give myself permission to like or dislike certain areas of the business. I just felt mm. so grateful to have a business at all that I took me a long time to realize actually this is keeping me. I'd, I'd basically corporatized Matcha Maiden, even though I'd left corporate to get away from that kind of inflexibility. As uh, as businesses grow, they do have to start building some of that in. And, and um, I mean, so many founders do get to that point where it's like, hold on, I'm doing a bunch of stuff that I don't love doing. And, and there's only a couple of pathways from there. It's either build the team underneath you that then removes you out of that day to day and still keep keep a role there, but at a much higher level, or go down the path that you've gone down, which is which is exit out of it, which I think it's a bold move. Was there a point where you're like, when did you think, oh, I think that might be what I need to do? Yeah, I think it was it was a gradual agitation for change. It started mm -hmm. with uh, the feeling of having something lack day to day and that was the customer contact and the behind the scenes mm. stuff. And that's when I sort of noticed I started pouring more energy into this Seize the Yay community that I'd started building by accident where I would mm -hmm. talk about all the things that weren't appropriate to share on the business page. Like I always say, as an example, if you don't get your matcha, I'm not going to put it on the business page that it's because I'm in the fetal position with my period. Like I'm just not going to say that in that forum. But I think, it, I think it belongs somewhere, you know, because I think yeah. other business owners need to hear that you have anxiety or a setback or a failure or a shit day or self-doubt or comparison mm -hmm. or all that stuff needed to live somewhere. Yeah. So I started to realize like that's where I wanted to be. It couldn't live in the business. So I started building it kind of on the side. And then it was only mm. by contrast that I was like, Ooh, I think I'm better at conversation. I'm better at that early stage, bigger picture life path thing than I am with just selling tea and, and helping people on, you know, through one interaction, through one product in their life. Then it sort of started to build over months to, well, how do I do that? What is the forum mm. to make that happen? And I started the podcast before we even had put in, set anything in motion to exit purely because this outlet, this need for an outlet was growing bigger and bigger. And I think if you consistently have that need, that's probably a sign like that you're yeah. missing something. And then if, if doing that on the side is starting to still not be enough, that started to build momentum. I released a couple of episodes, they went viral. And then I started to, all the guests I asked said yes. And then that started to take a lot of time. And suddenly I only wanted to do that. And I was thinking, oh, what does that mean? Uh, and <laughs> I I kind of did what I did with Matcha and the law firm. I hedged my bets and just did both as long as mm. I could. Mm -hmm. And then the next step to sort of being able to take a little bit more time out of Matcha Maiden was finding an investor. Mm -hmm. So the exit sort of pathway actually started through investment rather than fully exiting. Was that, were you thinking about taking on investment in order to, to staff up or bring people in so that you wouldn't have to spend so much time there? Yeah, it was partly that it was thinking, well, if we're going to get new staff, what skills are we lacking? Yeah. And we did need more hands on deck to help us with just managing the business. But the big gap was that Matcha Maiden had entered this phase of FMCG businesses where the winging it method doesn't get you very far. Yeah. Like, I mean, you can, you can, you can continually upskill, but there's an area where you start to pitch to the majors and big supermarkets where the numbers are just extraordinarily difficult to keep in your head. Mm. And unless you've got someone in your corner who's been dealing with supermarkets or dealing at that level for years and years and bringing that experience to the table, you could easily sink your business in yeah. one purchase order. I've had a couple of conversations with people about just that problem. Yeah, like just getting a couple of the, a bit of the math wrong and doing a deal with Coles or Woolies that then actually almost sinks them. And some of them have been around for ages. So I, I definitely understand that. And I think you also, 
there's something about the winging it method that allows you to grow into it. Like your business mm. grows at the same pace as you're able to upskill to meet its demands, which is amazing mm. because it's a much more democratic business landscape now and you can do it without going back to do an MBA. But I feel like we hit this point where the next step, there was no small step. The next mm. step was gigantic. The next step mm. was like put your whole life savings into it for one purchase order, for one big new client. And it became like people always say, oh, it was so risky to leave your law job. Actually, it was much riskier five years in. Mm. The bigger risks started to come when the figures that we were dealing with were bigger. At the start, it was like I left my job that I could go back to and I spent $4,000 on matcha. Like it wasn't a huge, in the scheme of life, you know, it wasn't a huge risk. But this was like instead of a mortgage and buying a house, I'm going to use the whole deposit on a purchase. You know, it's the risks (laughs) are huge then. Yeah, yeah. And we didn't feel like we could make those decisions because we didn't have enough money to do more than, say we had three options. One was Coles, one was Woolworths and one was Go Overseas. You had Mm -hmm. to pick one of them and we didn't didn't have any knowledge to help us pick that. So we thought if we need anything, we need experience. Mm -hmm. And the main way to get someone experienced is to take them on as a a shareholder and and get, Mm. you know, kind of, partner to go to that next level yeah so that's what we started looking for and then in the end they liked the business so much and actually didn't need us as much as we thought and we were quite happy more than we thought like probably more ready than we thought to step back from the control freak this is my baby (laughs) I need to be involved in every decision (laughs) I can imagine you having this realization you're like they don't need me they don't need me this is awesome (laughs) (laughs) and it's almost like Everyone thought we were so tied into the business because there was such a big part of the story and we thought the business would sink if we weren't part of it. And it was actually lovely that it Mm. didn't because we didn't think we had given it any kind of durability beyond us. And the fact that it it stood the test, you know, was lovely. And, And there was not even a moment. That's when we knew it was the right time. There wasn't even a moment where I was like, are you sure you don't need us? Like, can I please inject myself back into being relevant? It was it was relief because I thought yeah. I I am holding this business back. It is not going to grow any bigger under my guide like guidance because I mm-hmm. don't I've maxed out my experience in this area and the rest of it is going blindly and I could make one wrong step and sink it. Whereas mm. these new investors they only deal in businesses from the five to 10 year mark and they've done Mm. it over and over again and they know exactly, you know, they can't be blindsided. They have so much and they've got, you know, their portfolio has so much diversification of risks that it's not their only business either. So when did the kind of like exit finally complete? How recently was that? December last year. Gotcha. Okay. So quite recent. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. And so, well, um, what has been taking your time since then? Is it seize the yay? Is it other endeavors? What? How? How have you filled in that that hole that's there? Yeah. Well, <laughs> it's actually really funny. I thought there'd be a hole. I was like, oh, I'm going to get a van. We're going to drive up the east coast. We're going to have so much free time. But similarly to what happened with Matcha when I left the law firm, again, I thought I'd be twiddling my thumbs and doing nothing. But because I sort of wait as long as I can until doing two things is mutually exclusive, I'd already built up enough momentum that I was doing two episodes of the podcast a week, of my podcast, producing four other podcasts weekly, hosting two of them, uh, writing my book had just launched and I was doing hosting and speaking 
and all my social media work. Like I just didn't actually have any time, which made me realize what a bad job I must have been doing at both of those things, trying mm. to stay afloat if they'd both become full-time jobs. I was like, what was I doing before? Was I sleeping? <laughs> was I eating? Was I ha- like, what was I doing with my time? Yeah, I just had this image now of you. Actually, instead of you going from like 100% down to 20% and building up, I think it sounds like you're at 200%. And you just drop back down to like a normal 100%. (laughs) And it's funny. I think that's a good sign that you were ready. If the Mm. thing that you wanted to free up time for was already full time when you made space for it. Yeah. It's like, wow, I I couldn't have said yes to half of this stuff beforehand. And now I'm able to and it's grown even faster. I suppose the question for me here is, is this now a, a a collection of things that forms a career or is it a whole bunch of things that you're just kind of trying out and you might double down on one in in the future, like go firmer down one direction? Or are you happy having all the pieces of the jigsaw puzzle that you talked about before that you move around? <laughs> <laughs> I think at the moment I've fallen into – we were talking just before you went on air about how much uncertainty has pervaded our lives over the last 18 mm. months. And I think probably old me would have wanted to jump to something that was clear clearly delineated, clearly a career path. And even though everything very organically links together, like the book is called Seize the A and it's about the same theme that the podcast is about and all my presenting is on that topic. So it still all kind of joins together somehow. I'm a lot more relaxed about just taking what comes. I mean, I feel Mm. very, very lucky that all of our job can withstand a pandemic and is all online and is all very flexible. And so... I think it does all come together under one big yay umbrella of a career, but I'm also not looking to sort of choose one. Yeah. I I like the combination. I like how dynamic it is. I like that they're all on different forums as Mm. well. I like that Mm. some's audio, some's in person, some's visual, some's written. And for someone who like, I, I think I have, the capacity for a lot of persistence, but I also have a very short attention span. It's the mm. perfect mix. Like I can never get <laughs> bored because I just moved to something else. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think having gone through 18 months of uncertainty has helped with that evolution for you? So old you was very like need to know exactly what I'm doing and new you is no, I'm much more comfortable with something that's a little bit, you know, organic and flexible and I'm not quite sure where it's going and I'm cool with that. Do you think that's because of the last 18 months? Yeah, absolutely. I think it was happening. Like Mm. I truly, truly believe, I mean, now there's actual scientific evidence to back this up and it's not as woo-woo as it once sounded, but I truly believe you can change the way you think about life fundamentally in a way that's better for the outcomes that you want in your Mm -hmm. life. And Mm -hmm. that started for me with being like anyone who knew me back as a lawyer would have thought I was the most certainty-loving, risk-averse, like I needed to double and triple plan and color code everything in my life. There was no room for spontaneity. (laughs) And that, I thought that suited me. I actually genuinely thought that's who I was. Starting Matcha Maiden showed me that I thrive when I don't do that. And Mm. when I am a bit more, have a greater appetite for risk and can let things flow. And I do trust the universe and I do love to just, you know, it's a, it's a no, unless you ask, and then you'd get a yes. And then who knows what that leads to, but I still had a little bit of conservative, not fear, but a little bit of a need for like, okay, well, at least what's my next project? I don't need to Mm -hmm. know when, I don't need to know, have every single business plan planned out for the next 50 years, but I need some kind of structure. And I think the last 18 months has encouraged me out of even that to a much more like possibly a tiny bit reckless, but just, (laughs) (laughs) just a lot more appreciative of the fact that you can't really plan much, but Mm -hmm. sometimes letting go of 
pre-planned things makes room for things that you never would have allowed yourself to even consider. Yeah. It makes space for that. And we don't give ourselves space. There's no space for anything. Every second is filled. Mm. And it's been really lovely to kind of detach from the need to know what's happening next. And particularly at a time in my life where that's the, the question everyone asks is, well, you've sold your business, what's next? Mm. Well, you've got married, when's your baby coming? Well, you, when's mm. book three? Like, and I'm the person who would always have an answer. My child is coming in March 2021. Like I would know the <laughs> answer, you know. <laughs> and I'd be like, book three is coming now and book four is coming now, you know. And now I'm like, <laughs> don't know, could have triplets two years? I have no idea. Could adopt a seal. Like I have no idea what I'm going to do. <laughs> so I think that's uh, I think that's good inspiration for anyone who's, who's kind of like tra- <laughs> trapped in like the, in the, in the corporate world and thinking like, Oh, everything's too uh, organized and um, rigid. It's like, you know, a couple of short years you can really fundamentally change your outlook, which you obviously have. So that, that's really good. Um, Absolutely. <laughs> and, and what were some of the things you did to, to start moving away from like structure and a addiction to communication and like how like were there proactive steps that you did here or it's just been part of the process or any particular things you like that had a real impact after the fact I think a combination of all of it the most noticeable thing was just changing who I was around all day every day like your environment Mm. has such a sort of osmosis effect on the way that you see the world and being Mm -hmm. surrounded by corporates who were very similar to me at the time and whose mindset helped me be a good lawyer like that was a Mm. that was really good for me to think that way we're paid to find risk and avoid it at all costs like Mm. that makes us good at our job so when I was around that thinking all the time of course it rubs off on you so the the more that I started to mix with other business owners and other people who had a really healthy appetite for risk and were and had proven that that pays off when you Mm. do it often enough and and in a measured way I mean not in a silly way but that kind of that rubs off on you then and it starts to convince mm. you like this does open the door for so many opportunities and then mm. putting you know stepping your own toe in the water and saying yes to things that make that terrify you and that you would never do and then seeing the results of what that leads you to mm. just reaffirms that that's maybe the right way that I need to live my life and it doesn't suit everyone like some people might move into a world that's really uncertain and it cripples them and it stops mm. them from enjoying anything in their life. And that that's mm. totally fine. It's not a good or bad. I think the biggest thing has been self-awareness and just experimenting mm. to realise what feels good for you, what doesn't feel good for you and what isn't serving you and what does serve you. Yeah. And I've just found my personality, often when you look back at when you were a child before you had any sense of societal norms and expectations, that kind of shows a little bit who you really are. And I mm. was so spontaneous and arty farty and just always trying new things and not caring if I look silly and I love to just be adventurous and then I just stopped for sort of a decade and Mm. now that that's back I notice I actually thrive when I don't know what's coming next Mm. it drives me to try new things and I love just not even contemplating the possibility of saying no even if it's like that's not me or that would have terrified me once or that's so so dangerous or silly or you know I'm like sure and it, every time I've done that, even recently I was telling you I just spent uh, five to seven days out in the Northern Territory without my phone. Like we, we didn't even have clocks. Not only is that terrifying to me, but I'm also not a super outdoorsy person by nature. And we didn't shower for a week. We, did, we camped, like we had swags and it was amazing when you do stuff that you would not normally do by just saying yes. So the more I've done that and the more it's expanded the world for me and the people you meet and the conversations you have it just reinforces for you like I want to do that again I want to do something once a year that I would never do I want to do stuff that's 
got nothing to do with career progression, but that somehow ends up progressing you anyway, you know? Mm. Well, and we should do more of that. <laughs> it's like you, you may not have seemed like a super outdoorsy type, but when you had spent seven days out there with no showers in swags, you probably seemed like a very outdoorsy type when you came back. <laughs> oh, my God. And I'm zero to hero. Like I will walk the walk. If I was going out there, like once I got into camping mode, I had that, you know, the camelbacks where you have like the bladder and you only yep. drink from like the thing. I was like, back in society, I'm going to have one of these in my handbag. I want to hydrate exactly <laughs> when I want to hydrate. I'm going to walk around with this thing in my mouth and just sip water from a bladder for the rest of my life. Like I, I go all out and my friends know that I do it. So even when I've surfed, like I surf, I love surfing. I'm not very oh, good. Oh, so do I. Okay, but I'm not very good at it, right? I just pretend like I come, but I come out of the water. I've got like a full wetsuit. I went to Urban Surf recently. I bloody love it. And like I stand up, I'm not terrible, but I get out of the water and I'm throwing shuckers at everyone. And I'm like, the waves were so gnarly. Like I can't do anything halfway. <laughs> but I'm a dork. Like, yeah, I was so into camping. I was like, I'm going to get my swag out. We're going to camp every weekend. I haven't camped since then. But I just get excited. <laughs> great. I think it's a great way to live life. hey team it's jack again i hope you're enjoying this episode of the make it happen show if you're a business owner who wants to elevate every area of your life you want to create a vision for your life so compelling that you're literally pulled towards it you want to create a roadmap that not only ensures you're showing up every day as your best self but your experience of life is one of fulfillment happiness and success then you have to join me at the elevated entrepreneur experience head to www.the-entourage.com event and i look forward to seeing you there now let's get back to the show One of the things I've taken from that is um, like, and kind of tying it back into business a little bit is like figuring out like how you should do business, right? So you figured out for you, it is about being creative and spontaneous and doing a lot of different things. And that's your, that's how you do business. And, and for a lot of people that is, for a lot of entrepreneurs, actually, that's how they are. Like a lot of entrepreneurs mm-hmm. fall in that camp. But then you also do have a lot of entrepreneurs that like, that's not quite their style of business. They just got to find what theirs is. Like that analogy or that story you said about, how, how were you as a kid, right? So I was quite like, I loved puzzles. I love problems. I love, I love figuring stuff out. And then that is the kind of yes. business person I am. Um, so that's a, that's a wise words. Like how were you as a kid or what really makes you happy? And then how do you do that in business? Right? For you, it's yeah. the pathway you've done. For someone else, it might be a slightly different, more rigorous problem-solving pathway really interesting absolutely and I also think that applies to the way you balance your business then with the rest of your life as well because there's Mm. this kind of elusive concept of work-life balance and there are people who come out you know even on my podcast because one of the sections is play TA which is separating your identity from productivity basically what are the Mm. hobbies like puzzles or things that you do that make you forget what time it is and that are separate Mm. to your working life and there have genuinely been people who are you know say they love the podcast they appreciate what I'm trying to do with that section but that there is no there's a blurred line there's no line Mm. the way that their life works for them is they don't see it as balanced they're all one and the same and that suits Mm. them whereas other people are like if I don't have clear delineation I will burn out and I'll hate my job and blah 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 like yeah I think it just if the podcast if doing my podcast has taught me anything it's that there is no answer to anything and the people Mm. who are the happiest are the ones who listen the closest to the only data point that matters which is what you feel when you do stuff Mm. yeah yeah 
Yeah, and everyone, everyone's just completely different. On the surfing thing as well, I, I'm, a, I'm a huge fan of surfing. I describe myself as thoroughly intermediate. Uh, up, in, up here, <laughs> up here Enthusiastically in, intermediate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Up here in Sydney, you have some very, very good surfers no matter where you go. Uh, so I'm definitely in the middle of the pack. But the, one of the reasons I absolutely love it is because of the meditative effect of it, right? You're out there. Yeah. You, you do not have a phone, of course. <laughs> there's, there's no music, there's no distraction. <laughs> um, but you're just out in the elements and also it's very rhythmic, right? You're just paying attention to the swell that's coming through and I think it's one of the best ways to kind of get away from all the chaos of life, get away absolutely. from the chaos of being always plugged in and doing something in nature and so that's why that's why I absolutely love it, even though I'm totally. thoroughly intermediate. <laughs> <laughs> But I also love, I think there's two things to that. Firstly, as you mentioned, like anything that's mutually exclusive with doing anything else, like any activity that consumes your whole brain, mm. I think we need we need to find time for that because yep. otherwise you, you are splitting your brain between your phone, the TV, the whatever, like your to-do list. Just to survive in surfing, it needs mm. your whole brain, which is yeah, amazing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And the other thing is activities where you don't need to be the best. Like I A-type the shit out of everything I do. Like even rest, I'm like, okay, have I had a bath? Have I like meditated for 20 minutes? Like I'm trying to like overachieve at resting. And I find that I don't count exercise in my play TA because Mm. that's still got a goal for me and I still want to be good at it. Mm -hmm. But play Mm -hmm. is when you don't care if you're crap or not. Like I'm Mm. so bad at pottery pottery I am unbelievably (laughs) terrible at it which is weird because I have good like hand-eye coordination and and like finesse for detail but for some reason I cannot even make a bowl which is like the easiest thing to make (laughs) isn't that like that's what you start that's what you start with that's what you start with I I haven't evolved past the bowl because mine turns into like some half-ass plate that like wouldn't hold anything in it but to let yourself do activities that you don't need to improve at week to week because Mm. Inevitably, we all get like, oh, I, either I've got to turn this into a business now, like I'm so good at yep. pottery, I've got to have a side hustle for ceramics, or <laughs> at least you want to be improving week to week. But sometimes you just got to do stuff because you're you're happy with being intermediate. You don't need yep. to go to the you know WSL and like smash it. You're just there because you enjoy it, and that's I think what's so important. Yeah, that's awesome. So find something that you love doing that you're not that great at, and you don't really care. Yeah, or you could be great at, but you don't need to prove to anyone that you're great at it. You just do yeah, it because yeah. it's fun. Like there's a saying is whoever's having the most fun surfing is the best surfer out there, right? Absolutely. Uh, and so I'm happy with that. So yeah, find something, find something you love, but you're not that great at and you're happy not being that great at and it's a really good escape. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, kind of coming back onto all your things, you know, the CZA with the podcast and the book, um, Spoonful of Sarah, your website, and just the other things that you've, you've got going on. How do you kind of allocate your time at the moment or are you not even worrying? You're just kind of like going wherever you're feeling like in each <laughs> day or week. How, how do you break up your time? I have this really, I think my mum taught me about it, this matrix that's helped me a lot with scheduling which is a sort of grid of four. And in the one corner, there's urgent and important. Then mm-hmm. there's not urgent, but important. Then there's urgent, but not important. And then not urgent and not important. And every day I write a to-do list and I just focus on getting the urgent and important done. Yeah, great. And and then once that's done, I sort of think, okay, well, is it five? If it's five o'clock, do I really need to fit in anything else? Yeah. Whereas before, because the to-do list is endless when you run your own business and what's urgent and what is important, like a lot of the times things that aren't important but have a time limit, you do them first and then you don't have any energy or time left for the stuff that you actually need to do. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of really helped me. Like I have this overlay of what I would like the week to look like, but then in the moment I make a to-do list every day and then 
I'm better at calling it as well when like, you know, you get to a point where your brain's just not going to cooperate anymore. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm better at just getting up and leaving. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, it changes a lot at the moment. I can't say I yeah, have a, a typical day. <laughs> well, I love it. So, so not only have you figured out over the last couple of years, you figured out like what kind of work you want to be doing and what lights you up, but then now you're also figuring out like, okay, you're like within the week and within the days, like how am I productive and how do I get the most out of myself? It's all good stuff. I think for everyone to like look at themselves and figure that out for themselves as well. And also like some weeks it just doesn't work. There'll be a day, like I have quite bad anxiety from time to time and there'll be a day where I'm just a total write-off. Like I cannot Mm -hmm. do anything. And then you've just got to roll with it. Like if you just push past that, your work won't be good. You won't feel good about it. Like what's, you know, you sometimes just need to give yourself a bit of grace. So on those days, I just rejig the whole rest of the week and just work around it. I'm checking out for a day. I'll be back tomorrow. More productive Hmm. than ever. (laughs) <laughs> All right, Sarah, I've got a couple more questions here that, uh, that neither of us have seen. We call it make it happen in a minute. So we've got five questions that we just move through at reasonably rapid fire. Don't feel, don't feel too much pressure here. You ready to go? Ready to go. Although I'm not very good at short answers, so you can cut me off whenever you need to. <laughs> All right. And no, no, <laughs> I normally am the one that interrupts all the time. So, <laughs> um, so uh, you may not have actually uh, consumed anything there for a little while, given the exit, but what, what was your favourite dish or drink at Matcha Milk Bar? Ooh, oh, my gosh, that's a hard one. I think the vegan egg is the one I'm proudest of that I think fills the biggest gap that's been the least kind of – has the least equivalence in the world. What is a vegan egg? It is a uh, egg, like it's a perfect poached egg visually yeah. that you can cut in the middle and the like yolk will ooze out like it would on a normal poached egg and it has the same amount of protein as a normal egg but it's all made of plant materials. Great. Awesome. I'm going to go and try one so of those out. So much fun. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Question number two, which is uh, touching on a very different topic. What is the hardest part of the book writing process for you? <gasps> Oh, I think Mm self-doubt. I think that most of the way through you'll have a day where you just think you've absolutely nailed it and you're going to change the world with the wisdom that you're just instilling into every page. And then you go back five minutes later and you read it and you're like, that's absolute trash. Like, who am I to write a book? (laughs) The imposter syndrome is unbelievable. Like, I'm really proud of it now, but most of the time it's so hard not to just scrunch up everything and throw it out because – you're so hard on yourself and you know what's yeah. going to go out to other people and there's all this pressure and you want it to be great and you want it to change lives and you want to communicate exactly what you want to say and it's hard to do that sometimes. So mm. I think I think it's just sticking it out because 70,000 words is longer than most things any of us have ever written. Mm-hmm. So usually you have to get through the self-doubt for like, you know, an essay. But to get through <laughs> the self-doubt for like... <laughs> 70,000 words is like <laughs> pages and pages of just sticking. Like it's a big mind game Yeah. to the point where I didn't read a single other book that entire time. Oh, really? I, it's in the book actually. My strategy is called blinkers. It's like yeah. racehorses. They can't run a good race if they can see other horses on the field. Yeah. And I just needed to block that shit out. I was like, I if I see a word that is more eloquent than the way I've said it, I'm going to have a meltdown. <laughs> so I can't read books for 12 months. It's fine. There you go. Any uh, aspiring authors out there, get ready for the uh, being racked with self-doubt, but push through. <laughs> <laughs> push through. And now it's a pleasure. Now it's amazing. But yeah, in, that, in, the, in the moment, just stick with it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. Now the flip side uh, is what was the best part of the book writing process for you? <gasps> oh, gosh. Two things. First thing was, even if no one ever bought it or ever read it, 
you have given yourself the greatest gift of being able mm. to go back to that book at any time in your life and have a comprehensive summary of everything, every everything that you are, everything you believe about the world, all your views on every topic that you wanted to write about. It's yeah. it's quite a gift to know in 30, 40 years time, I'll look back and go, that's exactly who I was at that time in my life. That's extraordinarily, extraordinarily exciting. Awesome. Uh, and the other thing was mine came out in stage four. There were no mm -hmm. bookshops. I still just thought my mum printed out at Office Works and put it on my table. Like I didn't <laughs> actually think I'd launched a book out into the real world. But the messages that come through of people who like the whole point for me is I want to break people's autopilot circuit. I don't mm -hmm. necessarily need them to change anything in their life as long as they've stopped and thought, is this where I want to be? Mm -hmm. And if it is, amazing. But if there's small tweaks that you can make that you didn't realize were in your control, then that's absolutely more than I could ever ask for. And getting messages, even one, let alone the thousands that there have been, to say that it tweaked something that improved mm. their life in some measure is like I could die right now and just be so grateful that I ever had the chance to, to say words that might do that for somebody. Awesome. It makes all that, all that hard work worth it. That's fantastic. All right, question number four is, uh, what did you think you would have grown out of by now, but you haven't? Oh, that's a really good one. I thought I would have grown out. Oh, okay, well, one is sleep eating. I sleep eat. What? Like full, <laughs> I'll wake up with full avocado skins and a spoon next to my head. <laughs> that is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I've I never heard of phase. that. It's not a phase. And do you know the way we figured it out? And this is so scary to me to think, imagine all the foods that don't have crusts or skins or whatever that I've eaten <laughs> and not known about in the morning. We figured it out because when I was traveling a lot, just before COVID, the year before COVID, I traveled a lot alone for work. And in hotels, in minibars, I'm not a sweet tooth. I don't really eat chocolate. I would rather cheese. But yeah. I would wake up with like cherry ripe packets around my head in a <laughs> hotel room that only I had stayed in and just be like, what is happening to my life? <laughs> That's that how we worked amazing. it out. Have you ever met anyone else that sleep eats? Never. I've met a lot of people who have sleep full conversations or who sleepwalk like out of their house. But no one has eat like consumed actual products, which is <laughs> a bit terrifying. <laughs> All right, that was <laughs> yes, that's amazing. You haven't grown out of that. Uh, but reflecting back on a lot of the things we've covered, in fact, a lot of what you've done is gotten back to the things that you loved when you were younger. So if anything, almost the question is like, what have you grown back into? Um, <laughs> <laughs> and sleep eating can still be on the list. Uh, moving, moving on to the last question uh, for now. I've probably got one more, I think. Um, but yeah, final question from here is, if someone wants to move away from just being an entrepreneur to being a funpreneur, right? <laughs> um, what's the one thing they need to do to make that happen? Oh, gosh. I think come back to so quotes really help me i'm obsessed with quotes yeah and one of the ones that helps me all the time is if it costs you your peace it's too expensive mm -hmm. and i think as an entrepreneur you get very distracted by the bottom line and by mm -hmm. the stats of growth and by your year on year returns and by your ebit and by all those kinds of figures that you sometimes think is the totality of your life experience as a business person but if that costs you joy and like time with family and holidays and the things that you value in life, really what is the point? 
even mm. if you love your job, if you get to the end of your life and you've worked and died and had no pleasure along the way, I don't think anyone is going to look back and think, oh, wow, you spent your life in a really you know, good way. You miss mm. out on so much. Funtrepreneur is where you do still along the way make time for joy and not just joy that you get out of your work, mm-hmm. but joy that's not related to your work. I think every business owner is better at what they do when they have breaks and distance mm-hmm. from what they do because you mm-hmm. get fresh perspective and you you forget about it for a second. You forget about your to-do list. And I think measuring things not only in terms of output and finances and metrics and starting to measure your overall life based on fulfillment and joy and having a good time, not all the time, of course, there mm-hmm. are going to be really hard moments, but having that alongside all the other metrics that you have for your life will mean that you'll never look back and regret having worked too hard and not done anything else. Brilliant. I think that's a really great place to leave it, actually. Normally, I ask people, what's, what are they looking forward to next? What's on the horizon? But one of the key things I've taken away from this is that actually <laughs> you should just let it roll. Like, you know, be a bit more organic, be a bit more flexible. And I think that's a really great lesson. We've covered a lot of really great stuff. So, Sarah Davidson, thank you very much for being on the show. I've loved having you here, loved the conversation, and good luck with what's ever next. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Make It Happen Show. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. And it doesn't need to end there. We've actually gone and grabbed a whole bunch of extra resources for you. Behind the scenes footage, videos from this and all the other episodes, as well as show notes that you can grab for free. Just head along to www.the-entourage.com podcast and you can grab all those extra resources. Thanks for tuning in and I cannot wait to introduce you to our next guest on the next episode.